0: Yeah, well, it's one of those books that, yeah, when I read it, it, like, painted a picture of who I was, um, and, uh, it sort of, like, woke me up
1: in a way where it, yeah, like, changed my life. Hey, friend, it's David Nabinski here in Brooklyn, here at the Portfolio Career Podcast to help you take ownership of your portfolio career and design a life that you want to live. I'm curious, has a book changed you? Has it greatly influenced you, impacted you deeply? I want to know. Let me know. Please let me know over Instagram, Twitter, email. I'm really curious. This episode is all about that. This episode is a podcast mixer episode. It's a live episode recorded in an apartment in Brooklyn with about a dozen people attending. In it, you'll hear from five people who shared a short story about a book that changed them or impacted them deeply. The books are listed on my website at portfoliocareerpodcast.com. There, you can subscribe to my Substack called Portfolio Career, a newsletter that I write every two weeks. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go, Samani. Samani. David. <laughs> Would love to hear about a book that has impacted you, influenced you, changed your life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the book that most impacted me is called How to Do the Work by Nicole Lepera or Leperle. I always forget her last name. Um, she is known as the holistic psychologist on Instagram. And I think this was her first book. And it literally radically 180 my entire life after reading it. Um, I came across it like after a really gut wrenching breakup. And I basically wanted to know um, how I contributed to that relationship falling apart. And how did I abandon myself, self abandon? Um, and how can I work through a lot of my like internal shit? And I really appreciate that book is because I think she basically taught me so much about what it means around nervous system regulation, learning about like trauma in a really approachable way for the first time. Even just telling me like trauma can be small t, doesn't have to be big t, doesn't have to be big events. Cause I always view trauma as like, I had to be like, sexually assaulted or like physically abused and that never happened in my entire life yet I still had abandonment wound, rejection wounds, like not feeling worthy and what I really enjoyed about the book is she literally will walk you through each of these wounds that you could have as a child and literally do exercises like was your parent like this and was your childhood like this you might be exhibiting exhibiting this wound and this is how you can rewire yourself to convince yourself that you are worthy to teach yourself how to not self-abandon to um, recognize your own worth and your own value um, I think I like teared up multiple times reading that book because it put to words things I had felt Um, because I always viewed myself as a really like confident self-assured grab life by the balls kind of person and to go through that breakup like really like broke me as a person and I saw how much I had lost myself in that relationship and basically she put to words why I lost myself like she put to words that like I sought my ex-boyfriend's approval and I did everything to do that. Um, and I realized like that comes from my own father and I never thought I had daddy issues until I read that book. Um, and I think by the end of it, I basically had a manual of myself for the first time of these are my triggers these are my wounds Uh, this is the story I am telling myself right now and now I have the opportunity to rewrite these stories Um, and I think a really beautiful like full circle moment I had was I hadn't read that book in like two two years I would say two two and a half years and there was a concept I knew in the book so I like got it out of my bookshelf and I was going through it and there was a section in the book that basically said like what are the stories you tell you're telling yourself right now and at the time I wrote I have no value um, I'm valueless I'm not enough people will leave me um, I'm too much like all these like really really negative self-beliefs I had at the time And I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, I am not triggered by this. I don't even believe this. This is so unbelievable. I am so not that person anymore. And as a result of going through that book, unpacking all of that and then doing the work that she suggested and doing that over uh, like little habits every day uh, over a couple of years. And so to be able to come back to that, totally forgetting i had written that and seeing them be like, wow. That is not true. And I have actually changed as a person and as a whole premise of her book is you can do the work and you can change and become a better version of yourself. So, yeah, it really was actually life changing.
1: Um, I had a feeling this was going to be hard to ask follow-up <laughs> questions. Um, have you gone back and revisited the book or?
2: Not entirely. I think. I think like that book was really good when I was like in my shit. Um, And now going back, it's almost just like more like intellectual. Like if anything, I like reading the exercises again from a less emotionally triggered place and actually sharing that. So I actually just recommend it to a lot of my friends. And it's more like, hey, friend, like I see you're going through this. Here's an exercise to help me or here's like or like have did you go through this when you were a kid? Because she basically just makes it so easy to like it's like a mad lib almost mm. she's like did you do this did you experience this is this what your parents told you you might be struggling with this um and this is how you can work through it so i personally haven't gone through it because i think in a in a really wonderful way i have done the work and i feel really 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 good and now it's more just sharing her work with other people because i think it's literally life-changing hell yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you.
3: Thanks, Imani. That was awesome.
1: Tough act to follow, I know. Yeah, uh, (laughs) uh, yeah, what comes to mind for you, Brian?
3: Another book about work. Different kind of work, but maybe similar. Uh, And it's actually a book that's currently changing my life. I'm reading it right now. It's called Work, A Deep History from the Stone Age to the Age of Robots. And I actually kind of like... There's another version of it, I think it's like the UK version, that's work, the history of how we spend our time. Um, I think it's the same text, but just different titles. And this book is changing my life because it's challenging a lot of the assumptions that I've held uh, my entire life, especially my entire working life, um, It starts by talking about the economic problem and the underlying assumptions that have created our entire economic system being very grounded in like this scarcity mindset, right? Uh, The author, this guy, James Sussman or Sussman, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's an anthropologist. And he talks about how, you know, the economic problem is infinite desires, finite resources or limited resources. And our entire economic system is built around this, this assumption. Um, But the author, again, he's an anthropologist and he studied hunter gatherer societies around the world um, up until like present day. So he sees and through his own like historical research and network of like archeologists and economists and he, I mean, it's it's a textbook, by the way, mm. for any anyone out there listening. This book is dense. It's like over four hundred pages. It's not a literal textbook, but it kind of reads like a textbook. Um, so definitely not for everyone. But I'm getting so much value out of it because, again, it's it's making me realize that these assumptions that drive the way a lot of us work are not inherently true, and. One of the facts that kind of helped break my worldview around this was around the number of hours per week the average hunter-gatherer worked. Anyone want to venture a guess as to like the average number of hours per week a a typical hunter-gatherer 100,000 years ago would work, you know, spent, yeah, Uh, it's like 15 to 20 Two would be crazy <laughs> um, yeah and and you know that's like on the the and and their work was very purposeful, right mm. it was all about uh meeting their basic needs the 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 impact of their work was so clear and visible and it was only like fifteen twenty hours a week in terms of like gathering food and everyone in the tribe had like a very specific role, whether it was hunting, preparing the food. Um, and anyway, this has led me to think about like how what, an assumption I had was that technological innovation and progress in general led to a better world, a, the betterment of society and humanity. But I saw this stat and I'm like, well, wait, we're working so much more now on average. Um, So what is the real purpose of our progress? Uh, Do we want to be working more? Are we even like as a society thinking about the purpose of our progress and like why we're building certain things and where like this technology is leading us? Because uh, in the book, he also talks about what happened after the agricultural revolution when quality of life largely went down for, for the majority of the population for many thousands of years um, until recently when it started to creep back up in like the last 200 years or so. Um, but again, for, for some. So anyway, just a lot of... And, and I'm like three quarters of the way through the book, so it's not done changing my life, I think. Um, but I've already, and, and part of the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it is very related to my work, um, which is largely about helping companies better connect their people and feel more connected and, and, you know, derive more meaning from their work and it's already inspired a new workshop. And so that's, that's been cool. Can I take so, out my notes and uh, see if there's anything I, no, no, I forgot this is to good, talk this is about? Good, this is
1: good, this is good. So then um, what what's kind of this uh, assumption that's like has really changed for you? It was like that you used to think that you should work a lot more and this is telling you to work less? Is it or is there like something else that you think people should do because of this book?
3: Hmm. It's not that I feel like now I should work less. I definitely question <laughs> I am less inclined to work like crazy long hours. Okay, here's what it is. The book talks about there's that infinite desires part, right? And how so so with that, a lot of us, myself included, work these crazy hours or worked these crazy hours for, for, for me personally um to he he talks about like keeping up with the joneses, right? Your own expectations for yourself, jealousy, you know, seeing the success of others and this never-ending hamster wheel of desired growth that leads us to work these crazy hours and by shifting my mindset from this scarcity mindset towards one of assumed abundance i think it's helped me feel less like put less pressure on myself to work more and work because i derive a lot of purpose and meaning from it rather than to keep up with the joneses yeah Yeah. love it
1: cool thanks man thank you thank you you. (laughs) uh avi you want to go next Um, yeah, let's, let's hear uh, a book that speaks to you, spoke to you, influenced you, influences you. Yeah. What comes to mind? Thanks, David. Yeah.
4: I'll disclose that I am feeling a little bit, uh, emotionally raw today. (laughs) My best friend lost a member of her family in the recent, uh, escalation of the violence and, um, the Israel-Palestine conflict. And that changed my answer for this prompt today, as you know, when I reached out to you. So the the answer that I'm going with today is The Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, I read it when I was 17. And like many people read it as teenagers. And I remember asking myself the question This was 2008 at the time. What would it be like if a teenager of today could talk to her? What would she say? And it was 2008 for those of us to remember what was salient then. And so my sister and I, we collaborated and we wrote a play that had this imaginary conversation. And, As we got into it, we really started to realize how many of the things that she wrote in her diary were so relevant to what we were going through at the time, which was the Great Recession, which was the threat of danger in the Middle East flaring up again in amazing ways. How much has changed in 15 years? And we ended up getting sponsored by the Holocaust Center of Northern California, and we flew to Europe and we filmed uh, a documentary based on the play. And I, because of it, like it's sort of one thing snowballed after another. I got to meet the two still living um, best friend and stepsister of Anne Frank and got to interview them. One of whom we spoke with uh, at the Bergen belsen concentration camp in Germany. And, what, uh, Hannah Pick-Gosler, who has passed away last year, uh, spoke about what it was like to be the last person to have met Anne Frank and last person to have seen her in the camp mm-hmm. alive and reflected on everything that had happened with um, sort of the last 70 years of geopolitical history and her Jewish identity. And kind of, you know, now that that whole experience is 15 years in hindsight, I really feel it stayed with me. Mm. And I, I pulled out two quotes from the diary, which really have always been like a guiding light for me, yeah. um, because I feel like they apply in any circumstance, including uh, what we're going through right now. <laughs> it's two quotes. The first one is, the best remedy for those who are afraid lonely, or unhappy, is to go outside, somewhere where they can be quiet, alone with the heavens, nature, and God, because only then does one feel that all is as it should be. And the second quote is, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve the world. And I feel like those two have really stayed with me since that experience.
1: Thank you for sharing this um, powerful story. Um, what was it like to have that interview?
4: It definitely made it, it made the Holocaust feel very real mm. because, you know, she's this kind of batty older lady, but, she's like she's standing where when she was like an eight-year-old girl she was so young when she was in that same location but suddenly it's no longer like a historical thing in black and white photos Holy, like pardon my french i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this podcast holy shit she was here you know 70 years ago whatever it was and the reality of it just like sank in in a way it never had before
1: mm. wow thank you so much for sharing yeah. Thank you. Um Jen, do you want to go next? You're going to do this, Yeah. <laughs> okay.
5: This is a very last minute. <laughs> love it. That's Impromptu. what I yeah. Okay. So I would love to share about Big Magic. Ooh, cool. And from the ooze, I think that some people have read it it does feel like a staple and I think that for there's just some moments and books and things that we go back to again and again in life I think where sometimes it just hits different and I reread Big Magic over the pandemic mm-hmm. and when I first read it it really was a book about creativity and the individual self and The premise of the book is living a life that's more inspired by curiosity than driven by fear. And when I first read it, it still was a book about how do I individually put my stamp on something and make my mark on the world. When I reread it during the pandemic, it landed differently because I was already so alone, as many of us were. I didn't need more alone time. And Over the pandemic, I got the chance to move to Austin, away from New York, which um, is a city that I've always resonated with, and also a city where I think there's a lot of drive to be an individual and put your stamp on the world. And getting the chance to slow down in a different city was really challenging, and also it landed differently when I reread this book because All of a sudden, I realized there were parts that I completely just kind of glazed over because it was talking about how genius and creativity. Sometimes it's not just about a manifestation within within ourselves, but really it is about something that's greater than ourselves and so that connected in a different way because I started to realize that there was such an interesting tie to spirituality that I hadn't picked up on before, in particular to detachment. And as an overthinker and somebody who likes to create, I always put this pressure on myself to be really unique, to have a really original idea, right? And sometimes, I get get so caught up in that that sometimes the thing would never get produced and put in the world. It would Mm -hmm. just be some thought in my head that kind of stewed around there for a long, long time. And this idea of detachment and not being so stuck on, I need to be the creator. There is an idea that's waiting to be birthed and I'm just a facilitator for that idea is something that I think mirrors a lot of spirituality where we are realizing that there are things that are bigger than ourselves. And so to think about creativity and producing things that are bigger than ourselves, I think that's a really powerful way of producing things of value to the world.
1: Love it. Um, What's uh, something that you're working through on detaching yourself from as part of your creative process now?
5: Identity. Mm.
1: Say more about that. Yeah.
5: Um, Until I left New York and had more time to slow down, and this is also just to give some context, I've always built in a practice of slow traveling Mm -hmm. in my life. So the identity that I previously had created was I already take time to reflect. I have a lot of self-reflection time. I'm so introspective, all these different stories. And when I actually had this time during the pandemic to be away from any sort of external things happening that were always super exciting and really gave me all these dopamine rushes i realized that it was not only challenging but i um, thrived on creating things for external validation Mm. and so that detachment from identity and realizing that ego that had built up around the creation process and needing to be the one was a really hard blow (laughs) and also a really needed one.
1: Awesome. Thanks for sharing.
5: Thank you. Um, Got time for maybe one more.
1: Does anybody feel called, compelled? Going once, going twice. Eddie? Sure. Yeah. Cool. Wow. <laughs> I did not prepare anything. so Love yeah. it. We can edit it out if it's terrible. You <laughs> <laughs> heard that. Okay. Uh, what comes to mind for you, Eddie?
0: Uh, so it's this book I read in 2015 called no More, no More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover.
1: And what about the book um, impacted you? Or um, it
0: you? Yeah, well, it was one of those books that, yeah, when I read it, it, like, painted a picture of who I was. Um, and uh, it sort of, like, woke me up in a way where it, yeah, it, like, changed my life in that, yeah, it was like a point of inflection. Um, and it, yeah, I realized I, I had this, like, yeah, this, like, nice guy persona that I was so... Um, invested in, and I wasn't aware of it, you know. And and so at the time when I read it, I like, I got laid off from this job, and my girlfriend broke up with me right around that time. So it was a three-year relationship, and um I'm Canadian, so I lost my work visa, so I had to leave the country. So it was like these three really big losses, yeah. and um, and so I had to face that, and I realized that I, th- I don't think it was from that book, but. But it was somewhere around that time, I, I I heard this quote. It said, "How you do one thing is how you do everything." And so, um, yeah. So I realized, like, I was I was seeking. I mean, the premise of the book is is approval-seeking behaviors and how being a nice guy is uh, inherently dishonest, uh, very dishonest. <laughs> and um, and so I realized I was I was seeking the approval of, you know, my boss at work, everybody at work, uh, my parents i didn't tell them about my relationship with this woman because well jewish and she was iranian and wanted to keep it a secret so like um and um and i was seeking their approval i was seeking the approval of my my ex-girlfriend um and so yeah i was just seeking everybody's approval and i didn't even know like anything about what it is that that i wanted i didn't even know anything about myself so yeah it was like a, a real process in like learning how to let go of that and um and so, yeah, I went to Dr. Glover's um, TPI, Total Personal Integration Weekend, and that's where I met, like, my absolute best friend. We stayed in touch um, since then. And um, it's been, like, such a difficult journey, but such a, like, wonderful journey of shedding um this persona that I had, you know, um, like most people won't be able to tell, but I'm actually I'm really funny, but I'm I'm also really serious. But at the time, like what I didn't realize is I was doing I was being funny at work, I was being funny around people because that was like my my that's like how I was architecting trying to get people to like me and then like buy their approval. And it's just been nice like over the years to just you know kind of not not really give a fuck anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, so lots more to say on the book, but yeah, that kind of led led me to reading many other books, but but after that, I think it was right after that, um, fun time, though, like meeting my friend and discovering, like, like I got it, I don't really know how to, like, date women, you know, and, like, how to, like, I did not know how to date, so how how do you date, you know? <laughs> why, why am I 25, and not 28, and I don't know how to date, 28, I don't know how to date, well, what happened, you know? Where was my dad, you know? And, um... And so it was, it was a fun process, uh and my my friend's like forty just went through a divorce, and like we're like learning how to date um but um <laughs> but yeah, no, and that that led me to to read uh neil strauss's this uh the truth and that that like I learned all about his whole thing around enmeshment his enmeshment trauma with his mom, and I was like, oh, that's where that came from, like my mom, you know my mom, my dad, of course so um so yeah, that was um more to say on the topic, but i think i'll I'll leave it there
1: uh What's like one thing that you do now that you used to care about, um, but you don't care about anymore? One thing that I used to do that, that I yeah. really cared about. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah who uh, Well, a few things, but let me see what, what first uh, bubbles up. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is like when, yeah, I think like having this acceptance that um, that's something, some people like me, like I, I trigger them the right way, like something about me gets them to like me, and some people just don't like me mm-hmm. or just we don't vibe that well. And Like, kind of having this detachment about it, it's like, oh, that's okay, yeah. you know, and not really needing to manipulate the situation. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know about Stu, like, he, I just like, I, I noticed he he's was like, I love like yeah. he's <laughs> not, he doesn't like me. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, I, I just noticed he was, like, doing this. I, I don't think he likes me. Like, let me be more funny and try to, like, get him to, li- like, mm. I don't, it's just, it's it's kind of okay, and mm. it's just this liberation, and it's like, man, it's okay just to, to sit with with what is, and it's been liberating, yeah. so. Love it. Cool. Thanks
1: yeah. for sharing. Ed. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for, for, for sharing and for speaking, and... Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.